I've just been listening to some of your music, actually. Oh, yeah. I was almost in tears. Stop it. Okay. <laughs> I think it's really I think emotive. It's just... I just didn't expect yeah. that. I don't know what I was expecting. When I saw kind of the lineup of people you worked with, I was yeah, expecting yeah, that... something really different. Well, that's good. Well, that was, the, I mean, because I was doing that kind of stuff with those people like many years ago, but for the past sort of nine years, I've just been full on sort of trying to be like a serious classical kind of composer, really. So I've stopped singing and I'm just sort of like writing, you know, piano music. And it was just about sort of being honest because I think when I was younger, I was chasing all that kind of, you know, want, right. you know, want to be on a stage and you just get older, you get mature and you think, hang on, why am I doing this? If I had to go on doing this the rest of my life, I need to, I need to ask myself some serious questions about what, why I'm doing it and have I got anything, that, you know, good to say because obviously there's so much amazing stuff out there so it's just a question of just just being honest really and i've always sort of loved solo piano music so i've just kind of completely delved into it and i get a much much more bigger sort of world drive responses from all that kind of stuff than when i was chasing the whole pop star stuff you know why do you think this kind of music's made you more honest well i think because when you're playing in a band you know you have all that support you have equipment you have all this kind of stuff going on but when it's just you and a piano you can't fake it it's it's so bare it's so emotional so you've got to have something to say which means you've got to dig deeper into yourself to express something that's going to move people and you know with that same sort of power but obviously you're not relying on all this other stuff that bands rely on which is great but obviously I said for me I just got to that stage in my life in my 40s I think you know what am I doing why am I doing this what do I really want to get out of it so I just love I just always sort of love that sort of modern classical music and now obviously it's a really massive scene and as I said for me it's just it's just, it's just more of a challenge you've got to walk it you can't fake it if it's you know if you walk into my flat I've, I've got my grand piano there I can either play it or I can't. <laughs> I can't fake anything. And you're going to know within 10 seconds whether I'm looking at you or I'm saying something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I love that. So. Yeah. Let's just give our listeners a little bit of an idea about some of the stuff you were talking about. I've already played an example of Jimmy's music before he joined us. And I told you a little bit about his background and some of the amazing artists that he's worked with. But just tell us a little bit about your background in your words, Jimmy. Like, you know, give uh, us a bit of your slice of your history. Well, basically, I'm, I'm sort of born and bred in Bristol and I was kind of brought up in Lance West and the Henbury. And then basically when I was 20, I started reading books. <laughs> and so I went to... I went to uh, Hang on, sorry. And- you could just... To- pick up on that why did you start what was it that made you start to read at 20 i went out with a really beautiful middle-class girl who played violin and she dumped me because her parents hated me because i was really thick which i was and basically it broke my heart so i thought okay i need to i need to get with the program otherwise i'm going to miss out on some really good stuff here so basically she she, <laughs> she did me a really big favor so i stopped because because they were middle class and educated and i wasn't so i thought okay i'm going to miss out i don't want to go through life being like a victim so i just kind of started reading books and watching films and went to film tech and then it all just started from there, really. Okay, yeah, I'm glad I asked. Yeah, yeah. So I'm completely self-taught. I've never had a music lesson in my life. And I think everybody's got that potential. I really do, you know. And I think we've got to be careful because we live in an age where a lot of people are kind of being kind of talked down to or patronised. And for me, personally, it's coming from where I care. I don't want to be patronised. I want excellence. And whether it's, you know, the museum or whether it's anything culturally, don't patronise me. Give me, you know, the best of anything that this world has got to offer. Because if it's honest... It doesn't matter if it's Mozart or Stravinsky is, is going to hit you. You're going to get it because there's nothing not to get because it's so good. And I think we live in a dangerous age where everything's being so dumbed down. It's like the land of the afflicted and the addicted. And I think we've got to be really, really careful because I think there's a lot of stuff going on that's going to have a lot of repercussions in like a few years for a lot of people. And I... It is that sort of era of clickbait, of fake news, of social yeah, media, you know, celebrity, Everything. reality TV, that whole you've kind got of... It. Yeah, and yeah. you got it because it's like, if you think of technology, how far it's coming, like just say the past five, years 
and how we interact with it. And I think there's so much stuff that's moving so fast and it's like this new super drug, but no one knows the long-term effects yet because obviously this is a new phenomenon. If you think of where we were like 10 years ago and where we are now with what technology can do and what, how it's so saying answers our lives. I really feel sorry for young people these days. I think they've got so much to navigate. I don't know, I just think it's a cause for concern. I think artists need to talk about it a bit more, you know? And, and when you say super drug, what are you referring to? I'm, I'm, refer- I'm referring to technology and like yeah. the whole way that we all have to have this thing in our lives. And if you don't, then you're not part of the system. And yeah. I, I see it in my friends, like with their young kids and families. It's like having a limb. I watched a mother recently take a phone away from her like nine-year-old daughter. The daughter went mental. And I mm. thought, what are we doing to these people? Like people are forgetting how to sort of interact on a sort of simpler emotional level. I think we've made their life so complex now because whether we like it or not as adults, we might think that we know what's going on, but we don't. And I know a lot of children and young teenagers have access to all this stuff on the web, the dark web. They've got access to all this stuff. So it's, they're filling their heads with all this stuff. And it's, it's no wonder that there's a mental health crisis in this country, you know, not just here in China. I was reading about China recently. They've got a massive issue with it where they're locking people up in concentration camps to try and stop their addictions with technology and online gambling and pornography. I mean, it's, it's not healthy, you know. That's why I make solo piano music. I want to stop it and take it right down and really just hit people and remind them that we've all got this thing in us, some sort of spiritual aspirations that might be locked or unlocked. So it's like an activation code for something. It plugs you into something in yourself that you don't even know is there. So it's like, that's the thing that's always fascinating me about it. It has this power, you know, but in a really amazing way. Art and music has that power, yeah. doesn't it, to create yeah, emotions definitely, and definitely. yeah, trigger stuff in us. And to be yeah, honest, yeah. when I was listening to your music, it triggered some stuff in me, whether that whether that's good or bad. But it is you stripped it down to that raw beauty that's and so powerful. I was shocked actually at how powerful it made me. You know, I started to shake, <laughs> you know, and I got tears Stop in my it. eyes. And I, I just, I'm, I'm, no, I'm serious. It's but. amazing because the thing is, people always look at me and they, they see my image and they think I'm some sort of DJ or something. I'm not. I, mean, I haven't been to a nightclub for like 35 years. And it's just like people, it's just weird how people put you in this box, you know, and not you, but other people have in the past. You've kind of got a double-edged prong to your talents. You're a composer, producer, arranger, but also you're a phenomenal artist. And I know today that we are talking about your music Music. But can we just yeah. touch a little bit upon that? Because, of course, I, yeah, you yeah. know, you've got two websites. You've got Jimmy Galvin Music, Jimmy Galvin Artist. That's and they're right, yeah. both just incredible. Just tell us, it's, describe your art if you can to our listeners. Well, that, I mean, these days I'm sort of just doing sort of remaining sort of abstract stuff, sort of really big. I'm really into sort of like Rothko and Barnett Newman and Francis Bacon and all, all the sort of greats, really. So the painting was always there. It was the only thing I remember at school when I was five and I. I did a painting and the teacher stopped the whole class said everybody you know Jimmy can you hold your painting up and let everybody see it and that was the that was like the biggest affirmation you know I realized that had a massive impact on me even though it didn't register at the time so the painting I don't know how but it was always there no one else in my family has that sort of thing so I think it was just instinct I just you know had a sort of bit of a troubled background like a lot of people and I, I think I saw unconsciously was hanging on to this thing you know called art which kind of like helped me sell through it also I mean and then the music sort of came later because obviously I didn't you know have music you know piano that none of that sort of stuff was in my life until I was like 20 really there's this quote that you said as Samuel Beckett would say fight the fight and I say all the artists must be activists art is always at the forefront of change so own your part and have a DIY revolution I love that yeah I mean that feels yeah. like Bristol as well do you know what I mean because we all come yeah. out we sort of have this DIY background don't we uh, just explain yeah. that a little bit for me 
Well, it's, it's just the whole saying that, that everybody's got a part to play. And it's like, you know, the whole reason about art for me anyway, why art and music exists is like you're creating a platform for sometimes it's a really, really difficult conversation. So people might not want to have that internal dialogue or they might not, you know, they might not feel part of a bigger conversation. And I'm just saying to everybody, not in a patronizing way, like, you know, we all need to step up in this thing called life. You know, while we're here, we need to sort of own it because it's a really short script and time moves for us really, really quick. So I'm just saying, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world, obviously, post COVID, a lot of people are struggling. You know, I was reading last week on the independent website that they've had the most series of psychosis cases in England now since like after the Second World War. This is going to really hit people, I think, for the next 18 months. We're going to be in like post-traumatic stress disorder. It's going to hit people what we come out and what we've been through. So for me, it's just sort of saying, you know, we all need to be part of the conversation. So how do we enable that conversation and how do we create a platform for it so people are part of something and can feel part of something? So what do you hope that people will get from your music and your art? I mean, they're sort of different disciplines, really, because the music's like a much more sort of gentle, sort of honest, sort of real soft, you know, I, I play the piano really quietly, intentionally, because with the painting, it's a bit more visceral, it's a bit more kind of macho, and that sort of side of me, you know, it's very expressive. And I tend to work really large scale and stuff like that. So all I'm doing is expressing something and being honest, and, and hopefully people might see it, and then it might switch on something in them, because that's what happened to me. When I was 20, I went to the Tate Gallery in London. I didn't do anything about it. And I saw a painting there by Francis Bacon, and it, it was like, you know, electricity. Someone just plugged me into the mains. So like we said earlier, art and music has this power to touch people in a way that we're not always disciplined to, to you know, to sort of accept. So in a way, that's a good thing, because then it means that we know there's something else about us that we've got potential to express or say or do. And if we can make people look a bit deeper into themselves, and then we all become part of a bigger conversation that's a bit more sort of embraced and inclusive, then that's what it's all about for me, you know? So how did you feel last year when everything was happening? Obviously, we had lockdown, we had COVID, and then we had the brutal murder of George Floyd. How did this kind of hit yeah, and resonate awful. with you? Yeah. Well, obviously, all that stuff, you know, the George Floyd, thought, I mean, we all know what happened with George. I mean, that was just heartbreaking. As I said, you know, we're living in a strange time where we have access throughout the world to this information. So we're seeing things in, in often real time, but it's like we become sort of negated about how we respond to it because it's like, you know, we're looking at the screen. So it's real, but in a way it's not real. But I think the whole sort of COVID thing has obviously given people a lot of time to think. And maybe it was a good thing for some people. I mean, I've got quite a lot of friends and I, I'd say half of them were saying for them, it was really good. They spent more time with their family. They suddenly reappraised their lives and thought, maybe I'm, I don't need to do this job so much. It's not making me happy. But then other people I know really struggled with it and kind of started drinking a bit more and noticed them and were really struggling because they were feeling that they weren't part of, of a sort of wider community. So it's a tough one. But I think for me personally, you know, it was good because I like peace and quiet anyway. And I was recording a new album. So I just basically got heads down and just got really stuck into that, you know. I exactly. think where it, yeah. it hit hard for maybe for teenagers, for young people who would yeah, be out and about, yeah. their lives would be their friends. So everything was pushed yeah. online. And now we criticise yeah. them for being online. Yeah, I look at my son who's long-term ill without that online family that he's got. He would have been completely alone. So, you know, there yeah, are yeah. some real benefits to some it. good things, yeah, of course. But, you know, the, the negativity, like you say, that we don't have a choice sometimes of what we see and what we watch exactly. sometimes the videos are just there and they're playing before yeah. you can stop yeah. them and you're not I given know. a choice if people are already struggling with with personal issues and then of course they're being bombarded with all this stuff it, i just think it's, it must be so hard for them you know people at a certain age that are struggling anyway 
with, with sort of personal issues, it, it must be so hard for them to sort of navigate all this stuff that's just bombarding them all the time. And obviously the peer group pressure and all the All the platforms. usual stuff that comes with yeah. teenage angst, you know, your body image yeah, exactly. and all of that. And then they're also having to deal with things like climate change. I know kids that are having nightmares yeah, yes. about that. Kids yeah, are yeah. growing up in a world where they think that, the, you know, we're going to have an apocalypse or, you know, that the, yeah. the world is coming. And, and it's, there's a reality to that. We've just had it on the news all week last week talking yeah, about yeah. the work that needs to be done so yeah i hear you i hear you so one of the reasons why we got you on the show today is because you're doing a benefit gig for the bristol drugs project tell us a little bit about that and why you're doing it well, basically, I've got a friend of mine who, who sort of sent me involved with them, and he was talking to me about them, and I, I knew about them anyway, because I think that the unique thing around Bristol is we have these amazing charities here, like SafeLink, BDP, that do all this amazing frontline work. Very often, it can be sort of overlooked, because they're just kind of getting on with it on a daily basis. So so for me, I just thought, I wonder if these charities must have been sort of hit somewhat by you know relying on donations because of the whole COVID. People are not so willing to give. They haven't been able to give. So I just thought, well, what, you know, what can I do to make a small difference? So I basically just got, you know, we had a meeting, and said I, I want to do this so the money we make from the concert is going to go directly to their recovery orchestra and recovery choir and that that's all part of their recovery program okay, i'm not so- recovering myself i've actually never drunk or indulged i can't even smoke cigarettes so i never had that so <laughs> But I know a lot of people that do struggle. Obviously, it's a massive issue. And I think we all know someone that's struggling with this thing called drug addiction and addictions. Without We know we live in that age, don't we, where we have so many people that are kind of slipping through the net. So I think for me to reach out as a Bristol artist, say, look, people need to pull together. This is one we need to help these frontline charities. I think that's what makes Bristol unique, that we do have people like this that do this frontline work every day, you know. You touched upon something then about acquiring an orchestra. Do you know a little bit more about it? it, It's actually part of the BTP that they offer as part of their recovery programme. So they get people that have, you know, addiction issues. They get them involved with creative activities, which I'm sure really, really sort of speeds up the sort of process of of getting better and recovering stuff. So they have their own recovery choir. So all the people in the choir have sort of struggled or might still be struggling with addiction issues, but they perform concerts in Bristol. They they did a concert recently at the Beacon at the Colston Hall and they have an orchestra as well that does the same thing. So they're really using creativity to sort of enhance those people's lives on a personal level you know giving them a sense of community and sense of self and getting them involved with sort of creative activities which is what the concert's supporting really well that's brilliant isn't it because so often the thing is is replacing the addiction with something you've got it having exactly. something to do you've got um, it. filling the void of no sleep and what do i do yeah. to get up and do and being involved in something like this is fantastic when's the event taking place and where the event is taking place on the 25th of november which is a thursday doors open at 7 p.m and it's happening in saint stephen's church which is oh, in wow. saint stephen's which is just off corn street it's one of the oldest churches in bristol it's a 15th century church and it's an amazing space they've got a really good grand piano and it's going to be a really beautiful evening. And when was the last time you performed in public? I performed a year ago, actually, just before okay. the other lockdowns in London. It's an amazing 1960s listed building called the Silver Building. Wow. And it was a really big event and I performed there, yeah. But I said, I've just been recording it in St. George's recently and Christchurch Studios with some, I've been re- recording some string quintets with an opera singer and I've written some new pieces. So I've just been full on doing that, really. So what will you be performing at the benefit gig on the I'm, 25th of I'm November? Gonna, I'm going to be doing just lots of my solo piano stuff. And there, there are three really good, amazing support acts. There's one called Reverb and it's a harp and voice duo. And me and Dallas, they do amazing stuff. They've done stuff with the old Vic. And there's a guy called Ronnie who uses these amazing Tibetan singing bowls. And a guy called Mark Eli, who's like a singer-songwriter, who's really good. So, and then myself doing the end slot, which is just playing solo piano. So where do we get our tickets from? Well, you can get them from Evan Bright if you just put Frequency okay. 528. That's the name of the event. It's all, you know, on throughout Facebook. Or you can just buy tickets on the door, so...
So you say it's yeah. going to be a special evening post lockdown. We need some spiritual data. What do you mean by <laughs> yeah, that? We do. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's just a sort of reference, sort of saying that you know we've all kind of been on this autopilot state in a way of coping with COVID. You know, it's kind of affected every, you know all of us. We've all had to sort of deal with this thing called lockdown. So we've had these sort of like spiritual and emotional lockdowns and meltdowns in a way. So I'm just saying I'm going to put some beautiful frequencies out there. And uh, you know, hopefully, help help a few people you know get get reactivated and plug back into what's important in life, and you know, that's you know, being kind to one another. I just want to get back to some of the stuff that you've done in the past, and you've worked with some incredible people, you know, including uh, Angelo from Massive Attack, Ruby Turner. Who are some of your highlights that you've worked with over the years? Well, I mean, I like Andy McKay from Roxy Music. Came to Bristol many years ago and played on one of my albums, and that was a highlight because I grew up, you know, in the seventies and I loved Roxy yeah. Music. So, and he's he's a real gentleman, a really nice person, no ego, and really really talented. Well, that's a bit of a rarity, isn't it? When somebody hasn't got an ego at yeah, that point, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always, yeah. I always find the more successful people, in my experience, the more successful they are, the more talented they are, the less ego they have. It's only the people who have inferiority complexes, <laughs> all the all the drug habits and all the ego and all that. They're the right. ones with all the ego and the short. So sadly, that distorts, you know, the whole point of what creativity is about, really. But you've also been quite openly critical of sort of the brand Bristol. What do you mean by that? It's just because, I don't know, I suppose because I've been around quite a long time in Bristol and it just seems like, I don't know if it's just a Bristol thing, but people just seem to put you in this little box and it gets really, it just, it gets a little bit boring. I think there are lots of amazing creative people here, but they don't, you know, we don't always get the recognition. So, you know, obviously we have the sort of brand leaders, you know, the people that are really successful. And for me, it just seems like people just want to, they just want to talk about that or they want to know about that. They're not really interested in, in sort of branching out or thinking there might be a different story somewhere, you know. I don't know if you know that I brought Yoko Ono to Bristol two years ago. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So John Lennon's wife. And to be honest with you, it should have been a really easy journey, but it was quite a difficult journey. I mean, I made it happen, but it was just well, like, let's just start at the beginning. In know. 2019, you created a show. Tell us about it from the start. Well, that was at the Georgian House. I specifically want to do it there because obviously the history of the Penny family, you know, the transatlantic slave trade. This was before the Black Lives Movement. So I contacted Joe Corona, who I know is an activist, and sent a proposal and said, I want to do a show with you here in Bristol. I want to reclaim this space because for me, it's a negative space as a negative history. So how can we bring it into the now? And as I said earlier, create a platform for a really difficult conversation that Bristol doesn't really like to have with itself very often. So that's what we did. Uh, over 20,000 people saw the show and, you know, that we carried an, on, an on-site survey where people asked if they wanted to engage more with social issues when they you know uh, interact with shows with Bristol Museum 85% said yes so that show had a massive impact on how people are going to approach things in the future hopefully in, in our cultural institutions because I, I think we need to step it up here a bit you know I think Bristol is an amazing city but I mean I'm Bristolian but for me, it doesn't always deliver what it says on the bottle. And I just get I, I just get a bit frustrated with it because it seems to hear people only want to have one conversation, you know. And if you're trying to do something a little bit different, you, you know, you, you should be allowed to, you know, because you're being patronised. It shouldn't be about that. It's, for me, I said it's about the excellence, you know. If I talk to anyone, in what, what religion or what, I'd never patronise them, you know. And it's just like, I think, you know, we need to sort of think about how we're we're putting out there as artists and, oh, and I, as, I couldn't and agree as, more just just the whole yeah. the whole platforms that we've got you know but yeah. I find it incredibly difficult to find any opportunities yet I'm a broadcaster with national standing and yet I, I can't get a look in anywhere do you know what I mean I mean yeah maybe I'm just I don't know but you know it just well no you're not like... because that's the point I mean it's, it's you know because all that stuff should be available and, and Bristol's a big city and I think we we could afford to take a few more risks and be a bit more eclectic sometimes and you know, there's, nice. there are lots of different narratives here. There's not just one narrative. 
it's like it's become like a theme park like a graffiti theme park you know and you, you, you know when you think of like paintworks and all the properties i mean i've got lots of friends that have had to move out of areas they can't afford to live there anymore you know the whole it's great you know it's great everyone goes oh it's cool and funky but a lot of people can't afford to live here now you know i know quite a few people in the past 18 months that have moved to cardiff because or, or well saying it's much much cheaper and it's like bristol was 30 years ago you know when you think like the paintworks it's like it's a million pounds for an apartment now so who can really afford that that's not people in bristol that's people from london which is fine but they can afford to have all those expensive shops and what are we really doing for the people that haven't got access to all that you know yeah i think that's a really important conversation to have and i know that part of your mission is to make art more accessible and and a lot of what we need to discuss is about working class communities isn't it and when we're talking about diversity it needs to include opportunities for working class as well how important is that to you? Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it needs to be right across the board with all communities. So as I said, for me, arts the only free voice left in the world, you know? So I think if we can create those platforms to have those conversations and to make people feel part of something, then it's like, you know, this is everybody's stories and everybody that's in Bristol right now at this time, it's their story as well. So how do we get to include them in, in the bigger conversation? Now? What and would you like why, to see change? Obviously, sort of more investment, because I think Bristol, you know, all the things that have happened here have happened in spite of, even if they didn't have any money. If you think of all the money that pours through this city and all the properties and how expensive it is to be here now, how come we don't have any money to fund, you know, really good art projects? We have a few, but not enough. And it would be good to see maybe Bristol City Council get a bit more involved. I know we have the Arts Council here and they do amazing work, but I guess they can only do so much. So I think, yeah, but also I you th- have I, to have a blooming degree in rocket science to fill in a, an art council funding. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's yeah, very limited. <laughs> you know, it's like winning a lottery yeah. to get an arts council funding. Yes, yes, I'm, not, I'm not taking away anything from the work they do, but as somebody yeah, who's yeah. applied multiple times and never had any luck, well. but then radio and podcasting isn't considered an art form, so I always have that challenge anyway. But in it is yeah, so yes. difficult, so, so difficult. Your yeah. average person cannot complete an application form for funding for no, the arts. It's I so agree, complicated. Obviously, it's got harder, isn't it? Because the competition there for that kind of thing is so high and so yep. tough. Bristol's known, isn't it, as a city of you know creativity of artists. But if you think, of, I mean, there are no really good kind of commercial galleries here. There isn't really a serious platform to, to show people's work. I'm always talking to, to people and they say, oh, there's no way for me to show my work. So that's an issue for me. It's okay. What's the problem? Why haven't we got a really good space? Because, you know, we've got some good space at the Arnold Feeney, the RWA, but they don't tend to champion Bristol artists, which is ironic because that's what's made Bristol famous. Yeah. So it would be good to change that culture a little bit and think, well, hang on, if you'd champion those people that have made it in the first place, maybe they'd be a bit more willing to engage a bit more, you know? And maybe the people that are doing really good stuff now would be prepared to carry on being engaged. So that's my take on it. We need like an independent funded body of people to steer a group to make those things happen, you know, and to give those platforms. And okay, right, we've got the funding, right, we can do this. I mean, you've got people like Lawrence Ho, you know, the guy who's doing cargo. Of course, yeah. And that's brilliant because I know him and he's doing amazing stuff. So just that one guy has brought all this stuff to this amazing platform and this level of conversation. And that's amazing. It's actually changing things. So if we all did that and we all created like a real community in a sense of, of, you know, wider community, then look what we could really do. So it's not just the few, it's like, you know, many people, because there are many, many people I've met in this city over the years that have really, really struggled with kind of finding help or finding an outlet, you know. But I just think if there was some sort of group that could actually, independent of the Arts Council, but funded by them maybe in, in Bristol City Council, and then we could make all that kind of stuff happen, then I, that's what I'd like to try and do one day, you know. So what's in the plans for the future for Jimmy Galvin? 
I'm just finishing a new album at the moment, which is going to be having mastered at Abbey Road in London. And uh, that's all recorded in Bristol in here over the past year. And then I'm playing another solo concert next year, 31st of March in Bristol, St. Michael on the Mount on St. Michael's Hill. It's an amazing, massive church, which has just been taken over and turns into like a creative space. And if you know about it, it's amazing. No. Yes, yeah, it's owned by the guy who, who owns King's Western House. So they've invested quite a lot of money in it and they've made it into an amazing space. And I've already purchased. I'm launching my new album there next March which is the album I'm just finishing there. And I'm going to put everything behind that, basically. And I'm going to be hopefully doing some more stuff in London. And I've just done a painting a few months ago to a charity in London that does amazing work as well with some really big artists. So. How do you decide who to help? You must get approached by a lot of people. I, I mean, I say yes to everybody because I, I think it's an absolute <laughs> privilege to, if you, you know, if anyone asks you to help, then if you can do it, then for me, you've got to do it, you know? You know, obviously compared to sort of, you know, other people in Bristol that are really mega successful, I'm quite low down on the ladder, but I'm always flattered when people approach me because I like the quality of the work. So I will always do it. Done loads over the past nine years. I've been in like loads of major charity shows in London with, with Damon Hurst, you know, some of the biggest yeah. arts on the planet. And that's a privilege that people ask me and they consider the work's good. But obviously the bigger voice I get, the bigger platform I can create. I want to take other people with me. I really do want to make change. And I think people are realizing that the political system we have right now, it's not really working anymore. You know, it, it's a binary system. It doesn't work you know with the left and even the left have gone so far right now for me i would never vote labor again you know i can't stand where it's where it's gone i like jeremy corbyn i think he really wanted change he was like he was the real radical you know i don't know i think culture i think these are culture wars i don't want to rant about it but i think for the past 10 years all this stuff that's been happening brexit all these dreadful people this is all culture wars you know because the media give these people a platform sadly we have a lot of people who are not in the awakened state that responded to it and a lot of people are struggling now because of it and i just think somehow we've got to get we've got to find unity if we keep fracturing our communities then we're weaker so how do we make our community so for me i'm never going to vote ever again for anyone i'm going to try and do everything i can to sort of help the community and wider community because i just get so wound up with it all when i just i've met so many awful people over the past 20 years that vote labor that is the most horrible people i've ever met i think hang on i've got to stop what what is it about that system that's attracting these people so but do you think that, up, that perhaps the media is is somewhat to blame maybe yeah because obviously because obviously the media have given you know they like winding people up because basically yeah. it's all you know it tends to be very sort of white dominant sort of male white middle class you know like a game and, and there is like a game of chess they don't really care what's happened to the people at the bottom of the pyramid because it doesn't affect them but when you think of people that do want to make real change you know like Jeremy Corbyn, even a lot of people in his own party, even our local Labour Party people hated him. So I can't, I, I can't, I'm not going to, you know, that's why I'm not going to vote anymore. I just think it's a waste of time. And I just think that we've got to get back to some form of sort of community where people are, are watching out for each other and people genuinely care. You know, I think that's the way it's going to yeah. go, whether it's to do with, do with growing food or simple things like that. And the whole COVID thing, obviously, you know, we're never going to know what, what that really was or where it came from. You know, people sell this stuff, but maybe it's to do with like a wider issue with like the food chain and how we're, you know, treating animals and all this kind of stuff, which I'm really passionate about. So yeah, I think people have got to start joining, joining up the dots. I think, I think for me, there's a lot of tokenism in this, in this country with, with culture and, you know, helping and saying, well, I think a lot of people talk here, but for me personally, I think very few people walk here. And I think we, people have got to stop having that selfish agenda and, and be, be a bit more sincere about, about their approaches and what they're doing and what they're saying, you know? And you are totally entitled to your own opinion. Personally, as a woman, you know, um, my vote is so precious to me. And yeah. I feel like that's the, the least that I've got. So, you know, that yeah, to yeah. me is very no, important. But yeah. It's been such a privilege to speak to you, Jimmy. 
So we're going to finish off by playing one of your tracks called 4A. Can you just tell us a little bit about it and maybe introduce it for us? It was actually written for a friend of mine who suffered a personal tragedy. His partner ended her life and I, I was friends with her as well. So basically I'd recorded and sold her piano album. Then that whole event happened. They were ex-neighbours of mine, so I knew them quite well. And then I wrote that piece for him, basically. And her name was Anna, so that's why the piece is called 4A. And obviously it's a big issue. I know in Bristol we have the suicide prevention group that do amazing frontline work. And again, I think this is one of those issues that people need to talk about a bit more. And I think a lot of people are really struggling with a lot of stuff, you know. So, so, so I lost, that was I lost for, my, my partner of seven years to suicide. So yeah. Yeah. I, I so we've yeah. Really, so yeah. it's a big issue, isn't it, for a lot of people. So that was written for him, but obviously written for her because I was friends with her as well. And it, it sort of broke my heart that, you know, yeah. when people, you know, just can't find a way out and you think, God man, this world, you know, can be so tough, can't it? If we don't feel like that way ourselves, we can never quite understand what's going on in someone's head or minds. And it's it's just heartbreaking, you know, that people have that as a, the only option, you know, it's heartbreaking, you know. Well, I'm really sorry for your loss and your friend's loss. So this yeah. is 4A for Anna. We've been yeah. speaking to Jimmy Galvin. It's been an absolute privilege to speak to you, Jimmy. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, Miranda. Mm-hmm. 